All of us want to find belonging in our lives, and most of us wish to find it at work too. In this episode, how to make it happen in your workplace. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 504. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. All of us want to find belonging in our lives, and most of us wish and hope for that kind of belonging at work too. But what does belonging look like in the workplace, and what can we do as leaders to help our teams and our organizations support that kind of belonging. Today, a recent study that's come out from an expert organization I know is going to help us with some practical steps to move forward on that. I am so thrilled to welcome back to the show Julia Taylor Kennedy. She is an executive vice president at the Center for Talent Innovation, driving cutting-edge research into the issues impacting today's professional workforce. They have an eye towards solutions for a more inclusive and equitable global workforce and world. She led the Sponsor Dividend Research, which we passed, uh, featured on the show, and co-authored Disabilities and Inclusion, Mission Critical, Unlocking the Value of Veterans in the Workplace, and The Power of the Purse, Engaging Women for Healthy Outcomes. She's spoken at the United Nations, the Carnegie Council for Ethics and International Affairs, the Conference Board, and many other places, and has been featured in the Washington Post, CBS News, Forbes, Time, and the Harvard Business Review. The Center for Talent Innovation recently released a new report titled The Power of Belonging, What It Is and Why It Matters in Today's Workplace. Julia, I'm so glad to have you back on the show. I'm so thrilled to be back on the show, Dave. Thank you for inviting me. The pleasure is mine. Last time when you were speaking with us about the importance of sponsorship, so many people reached out and I know found the research of the center so helpful. And so I'm really glad to dive in with you today on belonging and, and this is one of those words that I think a lot of us have a sense of what it means, but I am curious before we dive in, when you engaged in this research, how did you define belonging? It's a really good place to start, Dave. What does belonging mean? And that's actually where we began when we embarked on this research. What we saw was lots of companies and celebrities, actually, and politicians using this phrase and this concept of belonging, saying, you know, I want to find a place where I belong, that belonging is so important to foster when looking to connect, especially with people who have different backgrounds from your own. We saw this concept of belonging really coming up to the surface. And so we wanted to drill down on a definition of belonging. And so we pulled together a few measures that we saw out there in our literature review that had been used to measure belonging in different community contexts, schools, in neighborhoods, and one from India that had measured belonging in the workplace to create our own measure, 24 questions to understand when you feel you belong at work. And when we stepped back and looked at these 24 questions, they really fell neatly into four elements, four buckets or elements as we call them, of belonging. That's what we use to build our definition. So to us, belonging at work means you feel seen for your unique contributions, 
seen as that first element, connected to your coworkers, supported in your daily work and career development, and fourth, proud of your organization's values and purpose. So you can see there, there are elements here of being visible, understood and connected, supported in your endeavors, and really then feeling a part and feeling proud of the place where you work. Uh-huh. Um, and all four of these together contribute to that feeling. of As you looked at belonging through those, those four lenses, who did you study in the research? So our methodology for this research, very similar to the studies that we've done in the past, we like to use a robust mix of both qualitative and quantitative methods so that we ensure that the insights that we're getting from our data and from our interviews are put into context. So we started with that lit review. Then we uh, did some expert interviews, worked with a few advisors to shape our research hypotheses, went out and fielded a nationally representative survey in partnership with organization out of the University of Chicago to thousands of respondents in the U.S., all college-educated professionals. And then we also did focus groups and did a series of interviews. Then, of course, the pandemic hit, and we wanted to make sure that we were confident in our findings, given how much the world had changed. So we refielded the survey um, and did a few more focus groups after the pandemic hit so that we, were, we could be documenting how it impacted the long in the workplace. There's so many fascinating outcomes from this study. And one of them that was really interesting to me is this is one of the first studies that is also including some of the data that's included after the pandemic and as we're all responding to this. And am, am I remembering correctly that the results are available publicly that folks can can download them easily? Yes. So if you go to our website, talentinnovation.org, you can download the key findings for free and you can purchase the report for 20 bucks. Okay, so great. Pretty easy, pretty easy to get the findings. Yes. Perfect. And I'm going to link up to all that in the episode notes. And as I was reading through the results, there's so many things here that are just fascinating that came out of this and, and so many implications for us as leaders. And one of the key findings is that a slight uptick in belonging leads to a really sizable increase in engagement and loyalty. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so one of the key things that we wanted to understand is how important is it to focus on belonging in the workplace as we saw more and more companies weaving it into their own strategies uh, around talent retention and engagement, as well as diversity and inclusion. We wanted to say, well, does fostering belonging really work? to get more committed, engaged employees who feel a part of the fabric of your organization. And that was one of the strongest findings out of the study, is that even a small uptick in your belonging score, as we call it, the outcome of that 24-question scale that we constructed, even a slight uptick in your belonging score can lead to a really significant increase in your loyalty Uh, to your organization, your likelihood to stay or the retention figure you talked about, your engagement in your current job. And it also led to a decrease in an individual's sense that they feel stalled in their careers. So lots of really good outcomes that both employers and employees are looking for. And so when you feel you belong, when you feel those four elements of belonging, that correlates to 
these great feelings of engagement and loyalty and less feelings of frustration or career stall. I want to ask you later more about some of the practical things we can do as leaders. And as I'm thinking about what you just said, part of the hope that I have coming out of seeing this data is that well, I think there's the intention for all of us to want to do big things in our organizations to create belonging and to and mm-hmm. to help people feel included that small shifts can also make a really big difference that if we're willing to just take some first steps that that the data shows that that can really be significant. Absolutely. And you know, another signal that points to how how belonging can change and can easily change was that follow-up survey we did during the pandemic because we found that as companies were really moving quickly to try and figure out how to support people working from home, we actually saw belonging scores go up because people recognized, you know, they were in crisis and things weren't perfect, but in many cases, their employers were seeking to figure out new ways to support them and even that intent and effort. Remember, belonging is about feelings, right? had an impact on someone's sense that they were a part of their organization. There also is some bad news in the research as well, and it falling around race and gender. And I, I don't think these findings would be a surprise to many of us. And, and the findings are that white men and women have higher belonging scores. Black and Asian women have the lowest. And the thing that really leapt out at me looking at the data was that Black women and Asian women are much further down as far as the results. And I'm wondering, you know, I think we, a lot of us can kind of sense like why that may be, but I'm curious, what does the data show that suggests some conclusions around that? Yes, those left out to us too, and we're not a surprise at the same time, right? That um, we've long talked about how having an intersectional identity, so both belonging to a a group that is excluded perhaps because of your gender and because of your race or ethnicity has a compounding effect. So it is significant that Black and Asian women have much lower belonging scores sort of in that quartile two range of our distribution of belonging scores, whereas white men and white women are above so they're in, in quartile three of our belonging range. They're above median consistently, whereas Black women and Asian women tend to be below median belonging scores in the, in the workplace. You know, it is great to have the numbers uh, underneath what we already know to be true so that we can go to our organizations and say, yes, it's important to work on belonging. And as you do so, it's particularly important to work on belonging for these groups that are brimming with potential and have long uh, felt othered or excluded and been made to feel like they don't belong in the workplace. One of the paragraphs that really grabbed my attention in the summary was this one. I'll, I'll, I'll read it because I highlighted it. A critical hidden benefit of being in the majority is you can think of yourself as an individual rather than as a white person. Employees of color do not have this luxury. Nearly one in three Black employees and one in four Asian employees say they have felt out of place at work because of their race or ethnicity. More than one in seven Latinx employees say the same. And the the phrase that really um, hits home for me there is is feeling out of place. And I'm wondering if the data suggests any conclusions on what organizations are doing that is helping to support doing better around that. 
our go-to for building a sense of belonging and connection with one another, for making someone feel that they are part of a group that we belong to, is to try and find a point of commonality based on affinity. So to say, you know, oh, you went to Wharton, so did I, right? Or to, to find it around school, or I grew up in this neighborhood, where did you grow up? Those can bring people together uh, who are part of the majority, and they can also really alienate people who didn't grow up with access to those same kinds of schools or grew up in different neighborhoods. So what we tried to provide with this study was a way to build belonging that isn't rooted in affinity. And we see more and more companies taking this on right now and saying, okay, we're going to turn to this playbook that CTI has set out and say, how do we connect based on our core values and connect based on our core values and organizational values, how important integrity is or how important it is to you know, have a frank conversation about something we're doing at work. Those types of deeper connections that people can build that aren't just rooted in, you know, frankly, some experiences that might be connected to privilege of the majority. It's one of the things that is also really hopeful coming out of this study is some practical ways to build belonging that the research support. And I'm thinking about what you just said, one of the other, um, one of the other couple sentences I highlighted is that Conditions for belonging echo employee activist movements. Uh, Me Too, Black Lives Matter, Equal Pay. Professionals feel seen and supported by organizations that enforce consequences for misbehavior. And echoing what you said a bit ago, we are seeing a lot more organizations mm-hmm. that are espousing this. And I'm interested in you know, thinking about this, this interesting time we are in between the pandemic and all of the conversations around race happening here in the States and so many places around the world. What surfaced in the research that you feel has been useful for leaders and organizations to think about on taking the next step beyond just espousing, which is a great first step? What is the research support in, uh, that is working and is actually helping move the needle on, on belonging and, and real connection? Yeah, there are a few things. And and I think there are two areas that we see companies really working on right now. I see belonging as a change management, so a piece of change management strategy. Belonging has this wonderful kind of big tent mentality. All of us can think of a time in our lives when we felt we haven't belonged, whether it's being passed over for a baseball team or, you know, experiencing daily microaggressions in the workplace. Now, I use those two examples because they're very different, right? But any experience of exclusion can start to give you a way to build empathy and then think about the magnitude of being excluded on a regular basis. I think belonging helps people have sort of a common, think about a common shared culture to work towards. We also see companies working on equity, right? So belonging can be about the culture work, about how to bring people together. And I'll talk through what came out of the research as effective ways to do that. But I also wanted to mention that we see a lot of companies reviewing their systems and processes to promote equitable outcomes, whether they're looking at 
pay and, and how people, if people are paid equitably across the organization when they're in equivalent roles, opportunities for promotion, who's on your board, right? So all of those kinds of more, if I can say bureaucratic, crucial processes also need a review in addition to this change management, culture change work that falls under the belonging umbrella. And in this research about belonging, what came to the top in terms of solutions, we looked at those who have really high belonging scores and at those respondents who have really low belonging scores and did a gap analysis. What is true about the environment for those with really high belonging scores that isn't in place for those with really low belonging scores? And we looked at it from four different lenses within the organization. So one was the organization overall, things that were present within the fabric of the organization. The second was what do senior leaders do to foster belonging? The third was what can managers do? And the fourth is what can peers do? Because, you know, your colleague, your direct colleague on your team can do a lot to make you feel you're a part of things or not. And something you referenced in the question, Dave, came up at the organizational level, that what people are looking for from their organizations is representation. They want to be able to identify with those leaders at the top as role models and as people with whom they have a lot in common. But then the other thing that really rose to the top was that accountability for violations of company policy, regardless of seniority or performance. And this is, this is a piece of culture, right? Because in order to understand that there's accountability, there has to be some transparency around it. And I do think that, especially with employee activist movements like Me Too, you're seeing, um, and this has come along with our reckoning around race to some extent too, you're seeing some leaders who are not adhering to company policy or company values facing consequences for those actions. When you think about what employees are looking for from senior leaders, they are looking for that values alignment. They're looking for senior leaders who are inclusive, but who also embody the organization's values and are transparent and tell stories about their own values. From managers, employees want managers who are ready to recognize their contributions, give them feedback, give them some public credit for their contributions. You know, these things that foster belonging, frankly, are just about good management and having a good manager who's supportive. And from peers, what they're really looking for is also substantive. You know, we had a long list of, of potential things that could come to the top of the list for those who have high belonging, like, you know, gives me a card on my birthday, right? Which is great. But what rose to the top of the list was more supporting my work-life balance, giving me timely and honest feedback on my work, thanking me for my work, communicating openly and honestly with me about our working relationship. So once you understand what fosters belonging, I think you can start to embody these things, but it is more than merely saying hello in the morning, right? It's thinking about how to be that supportive colleague, that supportive manager so that people feel that their substantive contributions are endorsed and sought after. And I'm thinking about what you said earlier about affinity, and all of us have done this, I know I have, of thinking about a point that 
people have in common, a, a, a mm-hmm. school or an activity or something. And the invitation I hear from you and the research supporting this of not necessarily that we may never do that, but to move past that uh, and to do more. And the things I just heard you say as far as giving feedback, coaching, spending time, core management and leadership principles that we talk about on the show all the time. And so it's just, it's another reminder to all of us, if we do those things well and consistently, that we're going to support belonging within the organization. So that's that's refreshing. I don't want to say don't have any banter or chit chat or levity, right? So I don't want to send that message. And I think it's great to find points of commonality. They may just not always be about your background or your upbringing. And I think in finding commonality, being curious and asking lots of questions can also be helpful. We have some great breakout sessions on Zoom on our own staff where we have these prompt questions what would be your dream vacation or talk about your best experience of travel in your life. And even if someone is sharing going to another state, there's so much insight that you get out of hearing their story of travel and and what it meant for them in their lives. So I think being more inquisitive would be one piece of guidance I might give um, rather than just sharing your own that might be one way or try to connect in the here and now rather than try to scan someone's LinkedIn or resume to try and find that point of connection. I'm hearing you say too, getting past the surface stuff, you know, not Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't do that, but if you can get into the experiences and values and who people are more so than the, you know, where we went to school, what organizations were a part of that, that kind of thing. If you can move into that, that, that really builds a foundation for a conversation and a relationship that's built upon much more than just a surface interaction. Exactly. Completely agree. Completely agree. I'm also curious too about what you said with just kind of how the overall organization responds to some of the the movements that are happening right now. And I know one of the frustration points that people have is that their organization espouses the right things they mm-hmm. you know they put out the right press release that says the right words and yet they see culturally and they see senior leaders that don't really follow the spirit of what's espoused in practice and i i'm curious have you seen examples of organizations that have done this well of really finding that accountability and if so what are they doing that's working what i watch for are companies that are ready to be transparent and release their numbers and allow external stakeholders to then hold them accountable. I think that can be helpful. I also watch for companies that are specific in their commitments. So they say, we have this target, we are going to work on this product and service area, rather than sort of generally say, we promise to be better. So those are things that I watch for. I can't give you a perfect company that I think has gotten this completely right. It's very hard to find that, especially with large companies where there may be areas in the work in which they excel, or there may be divisions within the company that do better. It's interesting to watch the media landscape right now, where there's been so much work done on on on-camera representation, and now we see them tackling behind-camera representation 
one player that seems to really be standing out in that space is Netflix. But I don't know Netflix well enough to be able to say they're doing it perfectly. So it's hard to give you examples. I will say, in the, you know, we work with about 80 member companies as part of our organization. And the companies that have been at this a long time and have made more progress than others, I see those companies are the ones who take a moment, step back, think strategically, do a landscape analysis of where they are today, where are the areas where employees, Black employees or Latinx employees or whatever cohort um, the company is most looking to support, where they are today, what areas of the company might they be thriving in, um, when they start to hit obstacles, what are the steepest obstacles, and then have that informed approach as they build out their strategy. It's also crucial that they have metrics with which to evaluate progress so that if there's an intervention they try that doesn't work so well, they can adjust and try something else. This is long, hard, sustained work. And so I think, you know, the other thing that I'm seeing from companies is impatience, frankly. And that can be a great agitator and that can be wonderful, right? If, if you have a company that says, we need to solve this right away, we are going to devote budget to this, we're going to devote headcount to this, we're going to set aggressive goals and work towards them. I would say, you know, we have been working for racial justice and equity uh, for hundreds of years in this country. And so this isn't going to be solved in a day. And there are experts who've been working on this for decades. One of the other things that I was not surprised, but I think it's important to reinforce coming out of the study is that senior leaders really do set the tone for how the organization responds or embraces belonging or doesn't. And I am curious, you know, we've talked a little more from the organizational perspective. If you could wave your magic wand and talk mm-hmm. to every executive leader, what's one thing you would invite every executive leader in an organization to do as a first step on this? I would say read <laughs> um, and watch and listen. I would say educate yourself. There is so much that we don't get in our education unless we opt for it in this country to do with especially race, also gender and other identities. And it's important to understand the context so that you can enter into conversations with leaders within your organization of different backgrounds and drive change in a thoughtful manner. You know, that's something else that I see among a lot of leaders is and my counsel to those leaders who who are Black or are of different backgrounds is to have some generosity and spirit when you hear leaders who are new to this stumble, because they're hard conversations and it's important to enter into them. But I also think there's a way to educate yourself so that you don't trip over things that that might alienate the person you're looking to engage. There are some very common microaggressions that come out of the best intentions, such as, you know, I don't see race or I don't see color. And I think many of us were socialized to say that growing up to indicate, you know, we look beyond someone's racial identity in evaluating their work or in in making a friendship with them. But if you're Black, that comment means the person doesn't 
acknowledge that you move through the world with a different identity and being treated differently and with a different set of concerns and safety to be concerned about. So I think there is just some very basic education that I would counsel leaders to undergo as a first step. Watch Ava DuVernay's 13th documentary, read White Fragility and How to Be an Anti-Racist as you engage in these conversations so that you start to see the world differently and talk about it differently. Thank you for that invitation. And I'll, I'll add one of my own that uh, has been helpful to me in mm. recent months um, coming out of George Floyd and just thinking about where we all are in our society, not only here in the States, but everywhere of wanting, uh, many of us wanting to get better at this, is being more mindful for me uh, on social media of following people who have very different backgrounds that I do. Mm. And, in, and in particular, mm-hmm. Black leaders, to I've been diving in on Twitter and LinkedIn to really listen to what people are posting, what conversations are happening, to see and feel more of the pain on a daily basis. And it's really been, it's been both very gratifying and enlightening because I'm grateful to see the things now that I I did not see as much of a few months ago. And it's Mm -hmm. also depressing to see how much hurt and pain there is that mm. I don't, I don't appreciate. Certainly, don't appreciate now. But I, but I have a slightly better appreciation of than I did a few months ago. And part of that has been just merely being intentional about listening to those conversations, not even necessarily engaging actively, but just following people who are different than me, who come from different backgrounds, and that has helped a bunch. And so that invitation as well to folks too, if you're looking for one place to start, and in addition to the reading that if you would do that, that's a great place. And, uh, and, and we'll post some of the books and the resources uh, for folks here on the episode notes that'd be helpful as a first step on that. I, I love that invitation, Dave. That's such a great idea. And Black Twitter has a lot of uh, really exciting things too, right? There's a lot of richness and magic there too and other other things to watch and read and listen to that, that you'll that you'll discover when you dip into it. So um, I think it can build empathy in all kinds of ways. One of the authors of one of the books I mentioned, Ibram X. Kendi, has a fantastic Instagram account. So for those who are on Insta, he's a great follow who I would recommend too. We're going to get links to all of those in the episode notes uh, in addition to the study, the books. So thank you, Julia, for all those recommendations. Before I let you go, last time we had you on, I asked you what you changed your mind on in the last few years. And you mentioned taking more pride in what your team is doing, becoming the sponsor yourself as you've researched so much over the last few years, thinking about where the world is today in the last year or two and doing some of this new research and, um, and continuing to explore what organizations are doing well and not. I'm curious, what's emerged for you that you've changed your mind on in the last year or two since we last talked? Well, you know, the world has changed so much since we last talked, Dave, and there's a lot to be concerned about in the world around us. Something that has really given me hope is a finding from the study that just just came out from CTI, which is we we studied majority men and we focused on uh, straight white men primarily. We wanted to understand what their attitudes are toward DNI because we'd studied every other group in the workplace, but we hadn't looked at, at 
straight white men who, you know, hold so much positional power. And if we're really going to drive change, we all need to be engaged. What I found so encouraging was when we asked men um, and majority men, you know, how important is DNI to you at work? So not, you know, generally as a general good, but how important is diversity and inclusion to you specifically at work? We found that only 10% of majority men said, it's not important to me at all. And 42% said, it's very important to me. So to me, that gives me hope. And the, the efforts and statements we see coming out from a lot of straight white male corporate leaders and their intentions and their awakening around race, you know, my desire is to extend that, to keep their attention, to ensure that this is a sustained movement. But I have a lot of hope that it can be based on those survey results. We also found that those true believers, we call them, those who think DNI is very important, are highly likely to be senior leaders. And as you said, Dave, it's so important that they set the tone. So that's something that has given me hope. I did not realize that there was that kind of a base of support. And so, you know, we did find that they're not as likely to, um, to act in DNI. They're more likely to believe in it, but less likely to be kind of actively involved. So I think that's what we need to accomplish as a movement is to ensure that base is activated as allies. But there's a lot to work with there. So that's something I've changed my mind on and I'm really excited about. Julia Taylor Kennedy is with the Center for Talent Innovation. The new report is The Power of Belonging, What It Is and Why It Matters in Today's Workplace. Julia, thank you so much for all your work. Thank you so much for for highlighting it, Dave, and for having me on. You heard me introduce Julia as being from the Center for Talent Innovation, and right after we recorded this conversation, they announced a change of name for their organization. They are now called Coquel, and so you'll find references to that in the episode notes today and also this week's weekly leadership guide. Julia, thank you and your entire team at Coquel for the continued work you are doing in this space. In addition, several other related episodes you may want to check out if this conversation has gotten you thinking. I'd recommend my past conversation with Julia as well, episode 398, What You Gain by Sponsoring People. Also with Julia, in that conversation, we talked about the distinctions between mentorship and sponsorship. And I love the distinction she makes in that conversation about mentors talk with you, sponsors talk about you. It's a shift that many of us should be thinking about in how we lead and support folks inside and outside of our organization. Episode 398, a great compliment to this conversation today about belonging. Also recommended is episode 441, The Journey Towards Diversity and Inclusion. Willie Jackson was my guest on that episode, a leader very much in this space. We talked about the journey that you may take as a leader, but also your organization may take towards diversity and inclusion. Another good compliment to this conversation. Again, that's episode 441. Also helpful to you may be a episode that I aired earlier this year on the Dave's Journal podcast called Changed My Mind. Uh, As uh, recent events have unfolded, I've changed my mind on things over the last few years. I did a deep dive on that in that episode. You'll find that on the Dave's Journal podcast and linked up in the episode notes as well. And then finally, I also produced a audio course, a free audio course earlier this year, 
And the title of that is Making the Most of Mentoring. Uh, mentoring is one way that we can help support belonging in our organizations. And of course, sponsorship, a key portion of that as well, as I mentioned a moment ago. But mentoring for us is a good starting point. And in the free audio course on the coachingforleaders.com website, you can access five key steps that if you start, will really help you to leverage the power of mentoring in your own work. All of that you can find on coachingforleaders.com. If you have not already, I'd encourage you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That's going to give you access to the entire library since 2011, searchable by topic of episodes. One of the topic areas is diversity and inclusion, which of course this episode will be filed under. Many other conversations we've had about diversity and inclusion over the years, many more coming in the next year. So watch for that. In addition, you'll also get access to the weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday, plus the free audio courses. One of them I mentioned a moment ago, my entire online catalog and library, all of the details on coachingforleaders.com to set up your free membership and you will be off and running. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Patrick Lencioni back to the show. He's going to be returning to teach us about the lessons from his newest book, The Motive. Join me for that conversation with Pat next week. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you back next Monday. Take care, everybody.